know, we've been in this series trying to prepare our hearts for the cross and the resurrection. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, for leading us into this. You don't just run up to Good Friday. You need to prepare your soul. You need to prepare your heart. And I grew up in a, in a low church environment, which simply means we thought Lent was the stuff you had in your pocket. We had no clue uh, about this season. And a few years back, a number of years back, I became friends with several liturgical pastors, pastors of high church. And they introduced me to some of the concepts of the church calendar. Two of them took root in my heart. One was Advent, one was Lent. And, and so for many years, it's been my practice to prepare my heart during the season to fully embrace and understand what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection and what that means still today in, in our lives. And that's what this series has been. It's been trying to unpack this journey toward the cross. And we're not done yet. We're going to get there. But, you know, this, this particular Lent has been both special and a struggle for me. It's been special in that I've, I've been able to to do a lot of things I love to do in the kingdom during this season. That's, that's been really special to me. It's always special for me to stand here behind this desk in the shoes of one of my Bible heroes over here. I just think we're such a well-fed flock. Um, but it's also been a struggle because I want more. I want more that I'm experiencing of Him. I, I want to see more of Him reflected in my character and in my life and in, in where I walk. It, you know, I'm reminded of that story when Stephen, or when Peter walked along and people just got stuck in His shadow and He carried such a presence of Jesus that people got healed just, just by Him passing by them. That, that seems like in our minds, oh, you know, that's something for the New Testament, but I want to carry more of that presence. I don't know if I'll ever get to the shadow place, but I sure as heck want to get farther along than I am now. And so I've wrestled during this season, Lord, how do I come to know you better? And, and, and when I came to this particular passage we're going to look at today, Pastor Jeff, you'll know what I mean by this. It's one of those passages that's just so much bigger than you are, you know? Your, your mind can't get a hold of everything God wants to show you and do in you in this passage. And, and I, I felt like Jesus was saying to me, this is where you get more, Mike. This is it right here. This is where you get more. And I want you to read with me John 13, beginning at verse 1. We're going to try to unpack this this morning. Man, I sense the presence of Jesus in this house. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, 
wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied and said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I love Peter. I just love Peter. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said to not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed when you do them. Stand with me, if you would. Let's honor the Word of God. Church, this book is the Word of God, but it comes alive and understandable to us through the Holy Spirit. So would you invite the Holy Spirit to open your heart and mind to receive the living Word of God. Jesus, we thank you that you are Lord over all. We declare that we believe that. We've confessed it in this house. And Lord, I sense things have shifted and moved in the house. Holy Spirit, we now invite you to open our hearts and minds to receive the living Word. Holy Spirit, would you give me the touch that makes preaching effective? In Jesus' name. Jorge Maria Murillo Borgoglio, who became Pope Francis, first pope to ever choose the humble Jesuit's name as his title, March 13, 2013. On March 28, one of his first papal acts was to go to a prison and wash 12 of the prisoners' feet, not, not just any prisoners. Two of them were women and two of them were Muslim, which was not done. He thought it was a good papal thing to do. You see, the Francis factor has been shaking up the Catholic Church ever since. He keeps doing stuff like that. And it's interesting, that act of washing those feet is still the most criticized act of the Pope to this day. And you know why? The leaders think it was not a papal thing to do. You know, it was too humble. It was too degrading. 
I mean, after all, he was the head of the largest religious organization in the world. That just seemed too low to stoop. But the truth is, he was just taking Jesus seriously. It seems like since the upper room, washing someone's feet is a line in the sand that very few people want to cross. It's gross. It's humbling. It's, it's humiliating in some ways. It's, it's very hard on our fragile self-ego. It's uncomfortable. It's just stooping too low. And it was just like Jesus to do something exactly like that to redefine what's important and reestablish what leadership looks like. Michael Card, a wonderful songwriter and author, captures this moment so beautifully. I just wanted to read it to you. This is a pivotal moment in that Jesus finally gives up on words. He's told them numerous parables about slaves. Now he will portray the most humiliating of slave roles, the washing of feet. I love this next sentence. Even after three long years of his often bizarre and indescribable behavior. I love that. This guy gets Jesus. The disciples are befuddled by the inappropriate behavior that leaves them speechless. You know, the, the root of this practice was very ordinary. It was very common in that day to wash feet. They walked around in sandals. Their feet got dirty. They'd come into a home. And when you entered a home, the host would greet you. He would bow, give you a kiss on both cheeks, and provide a servant and water to wash your feet. It was normal. It was the expected thing. In fact, if you remember, Jesus went to the home of Simon the Pharisee one time. And while he was there, a woman of ill repute came in so moved by what Jesus had done for her that she knelt down and wept so profusely that there were enough tears that she washed his feet with her tears dried them with her hair, and then anointed them with perfume. And Simon the Pharisee, in his mind, is thinking, this guy's not a prophet. If he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was, and he wouldn't let her touch him. And listen to what, he, what Jesus says to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wept, over, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed me, my feet, with ointment. You can see that Jesus expected these things. This was normal for them. And it's interesting, he's, he's in some ways rebuking the Pharisee, but in a greater way, he's teaching a huge lesson here to his followers. This woman was the only woman in the room that got who he was. She understood that the place you go when you come, come face to face with Jesus is to the feet. And she washed his feet. It's like a prophetic act of what he was later going to teach his disciples. She was showing them early on, this is what you do in the kingdom. So it's really interesting and somewhat sad to me that on this night, in an upper room, when they're having their last Passover meal together, it's the last time Jesus and just his friends, his disciples, are going to be there like that in that room. 
and they're talking about eternal stuff. I mean, John records from John chapter 13 to 17, five, six chapters of just mind-blowing stuff that Jesus pours out. He's literally giving his disciples his legacy in these moments. And they eat together, and they weep together, and he prays for them. Jesus, the Son of God, prays for them, and for all of us through them. And it shocks me that in those that kind of a moment, nobody thought to wash feet. Nobody seemed to know. Now, I'll be honest with you. I grew up in a church tradition where we took this seriously. One of the three ordinances of the church I grew up in was baptism, uh, the Lord's Supper, and the washing of the saints' feet. We did it. We literally washed feet. Now, I got to tell you, it freaked me out as a kid. It just was weird. Uh, for two reasons, mainly. One is, we had all had a bath before we went to church. My mama would not let me go to church without a bath. So my feet weren't dirty. Why are we washing? But the really weird part is, we went to a church where all the ladies wore dresses. So they washed each other's feet through their pantyhose. I'm telling you, that's just weird. Okay? But I have a real close kinship with this whole idea of foot washing. And having been raised like that, I've had to rethink it a little bit. And I wonder if today foot washing might look a little different than it did in the day when they wore sandals on dirt roads. I wonder if it has more to do, more of a figurative picture, you know? Maybe in our day, it's not so much uh, washing feet as it is stooping to serve someone. It, it could be sitting next to a hospital bed with someone who's very ill, or maybe stopping at the corner and feeding that homeless person a meal. Maybe you're going to a friend who's having a hard time, and you go to their house and you clean their dirty toilets, or you, you wash their laundry, or you mow their overgrown grass, or you wash the dirty cars. But no matter what form it takes, whether you're washing real feet or you're serving in a foot-washing ministry, one thing is for sure. You have to get your hands dirty. Foot-washing is always a dirty, smelly, messy business. Now, if you don't get anything else, I say to you, I want you to hear this. Please hear this. The kingdom of God is a culture of honor. The kingdom of God is a culture of honor. You see, when I serve, I'm not up here serving someone down here, someone less fortunate, someone who's got needs. I don't have this mentality, I can't have this mentality that, oh, I'm, I'm bending down to serve in humility. In the kingdom of God, we honor things and ideas and people that the world despises and marginalizes. So you know what it is? When I serve, when I kneel down in whatever way it is and wash someone's feet, I am honored to do that because... I'm getting to do for that person what Jesus has already done for me. See, in the kingdom of God, soiled hands from dirty feet is a joyous privilege. 
learned this a few years ago when Diane's mom lived with us. She lived with us the last 16 years of her life. She was an amazing, amazing woman. And uh, the last six months or so of her life, she got really frail. She was almost 98. And uh, we became real caretakers at that point. And, you know, caretaking is sometimes changing sheets and sometimes it's changing diapers. Sometimes it's serving meal and spoon feeding. Sometimes it's just sitting. But I've never had a greater honor in my life than serving that blessed one. You see, this kingdom of God is a culture. Some people wonder why I start almost every message I speak in this church honoring my pastor because the kingdom of God is a culture of honor. These two deserve that from us. You see, earlier in Jesus' ministry, he painted a picture for us of what this looks like. He told a parable, and then this king in the parable says to his followers, I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you, and, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? And come and visit you. And the king said, I say this to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers. You did it for me. When we follow the kingdom principle and we stoop to serve, we have the honor of serving Jesus in the disguise of that person. The kingdom of God is a culture of honor. So washing the disciples' feet was an example to us that washing feet is just serving out of a heart that fully understands what's important to Jesus. On the other hand, sometimes the moment demands that we actually wash when Diane and I were early on in our restoration, after I had just absolutely decimated our lives, and we were seeking God, and we were asking for help, and we were trying to figure out how to bring this thing back together that was in ashes, the Lord began one day to let me feel her pain a little bit. And I went to her and said, I'm supposed to wash your feet. And I washed her feet as a sign of honor because she was acting like Jesus in my life. Sometimes you really wash feet. I had to ask myself as I read this this week, why did the disciples miss this? What was it that was so distracting to them that they didn't notice that feet needed to be washed? 
I, I think they were struggling to understand this kingdom and this king that they were serving. And I, I think they were trying to figure out how it works and where they fit in it. I, I think they were probably trying to figure out the pecking order of the kingdom, you know, who does what and how's that. And you can see in that upper room how they would have been all caught up in the fear and the danger and the confusion and trying to figure it all out in that room. And they got distracted. And I just had this picture in my head of that room, kind of a buzz as they're talking to one another and they're trying to figure out what's coming next. And in that, Jesus gets up without a word and he walks across the room and he takes off his robe and he picks up a towel and he wraps it around his waist. And I guarantee you the room is getting quiet at that point. He pours water in a basin and he turns it around and he walks over to the first disciple and kneels and takes his muddy feet in his hands. And the king of eternity is washing their dirty feet. I, I know you could not have heard a pin drop in that room at that moment. Because the word become flesh was speaking through his action at that the Word of God was invading that room and into the hearts of those people. They were seeing it. I think he was causing them to think through, what is the underlying ethos of the kingdom of God? What's the result of Jesus' rule? What is the atmosphere that exists in the kingdom of God? And Jesus is showing them that. You know, Jesus told a lot of parables in his ministry. It was something he did, and he would tell the parable, and he'd explain it to his disciples and tell them, I'm giving you the secrets of the kingdom of God here. Matthew 16, classic example, just one after another, excuse me, Matthew 13, just one after another, Jesus gives them these parables. But I've noticed something. As he got closer and closer to the cross, he stopped telling parables, and he started living them. We talked about it last week when he rode into the city on the mule in the triumphal entry, and when he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple, these were prophetic acts. They were parables lived out so that people would need it. And, and there's no parable lived out that was more poignant and more powerful than the one in this room while he's washing the disciples' feet. It's like God was writing the kingdom in crayon so they could understand it. He didn't want him to miss it. So as we got closer to the cross, we saw more of what Jesus was doing. But I don't want us to stop short in this story. This story so often gets applied as a moral lesson teaching us that we need to serve. Certainly it is that. But it's so much more than that. There is a kingdom truth underlying this, and John makes it very clear in his writing. Jesus wasn't just showing them that they needed to serve to be leaders in his kingdom. He was showing them the source from which that kind of leadership comes. That this was not Jesus, you know, pulling himself up by his bootstraps and saying, this has got to be done. And I'm gonna do. Something inside of Jesus drove him to serve in that way. As I've unpacked this over the last few weeks, I, I kind of saw Jesus acting out this thing like a promise and a response. I'm making you a promise, but I'm calling for a response. 
And in this story, the first promise that I see is, I love you more than you know. Let me. That's the response. I love you more than you know. Let me. John records words that if you let them, they'll startle you. He says, having loved his own, that is his disciples, over the last three years, having shown them his love over the last three years, he now loved them to the very end. I think the ESV says he loved them to the end. It's a very poor translation of the phrase. Because the word end doesn't just mean like the end of something. It means the fullness of something or the thing that points to the point, the, the, the aim, the goal of that thing. So you could translate it this way. Having agape shown his disciples selfless love for the last three years, he now rips open his soul and he shows them why he loves that way and why they should too. He's showing them the point. He's showing them where it comes from. Not just the action. It's so easy, and the, the, the Jews did this magnificently, to come up with a list of rules about serving. Said, this is, this is how you serve Jesus. Jesus didn't want that. He wanted it to arise from some deep relationship with the Father. So he showed them the full extent of his love. That's a great translation from the NIV early on, 84. The full extent of his love. He's showing them all of it. He's leaving it all on the table for them. It's almost as, he's, as if he's saying to them, if you want to know what I love like, what I lead like, what I live like, what I look like, watch this. What is God's love unto in our life? He wanted the disciples to know how they would need to look, live to look like him. I, I thought about this as, as I've read it. I really tried to let this story hit me and, 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 and try to put myself in that room as much as I could. And, and I thought, what motivates someone like Jesus to do something like that? What drives that? Have you ever seen someone serving, and you, you've asked the question, how do they do that? I, I do that a lot when I, when I see missionaries in really difficult places, and I go, how, how do they do that? Or, or somebody that works with street folk, how do they do that? Jesus was prompting that in the disciples, so they'd look at him and go, how does he do that? And John answers the question in verse 3. He said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things under his feet, that he had come from the Father and was returning to the Father. Something I want you to notice there. Jesus understood who he was, why he was here, and where he was going. He had a sense of identity. It wasn't just that all things were under his feet. It's that the Father had put all things under his feet. It was this relationship with the Father that defined him. 
And because he knew that he, he was loved by God and he knew that he had come, he had this sense of purpose. I've come from the Father to show my relationship with the Father to my followers. He talks about it later this very same night, telling them, I want you to have what I have with the Father. He comes for that purpose, but he also knows he's returning to the Father. This thing is going somewhere. He had a sense of destiny. His identity and purpose and destiny was so locked into the heart of the Father that nothing could diminish him. No kind of service would ever push him down. He he never had to worry about, oh, what's this going to look like to anybody? Because he was locked into the Father's heart. It was the love of the Father over his life that allowed him to get up, disrobe, and act like a servant, but never feel like a slave. thought about that. I think that's why Paul prayed. To me, one of the most powerful prayers, I encourage you sometimes, study the apostolic prayers, the prayers that the apostles wrote in their their letters are powerful. This is my favorite one. Paul is praying for the Ephesians, and the Ephesian church, man, it was was the church of the first century. It It was elite. And he writes to them and he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, through faith. The picture is, I'm praying for you to be so filled with the spirit that wherever you go, Jesus is. So full of him that as you go, you are carrying him into that situation. So I'm praying for that kind of power to come into you that you can walk like this. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know, Paul was not one to use words lightly. I don't think he was just being repetitious by saying how wide and long behind you. I, I think he was saying, I want you to understand the full scope of the love of Jesus. Because if you understand the full scope of the love of Jesus, nothing you ever are called to do in the kingdom of God will diminish you or make you feel less. He said, I want you to know the breadth of it. I want you to know how big Christ's love is. Because if you know how big Christ's love is, you will become a risk taker. When I'm loved by him, I've got nothing to lose. That's exactly what he was doing when he got up to wash there. I got nothing to lose. This isn't going to destroy my identity. He wants you to know the length of that. How far out does it go? How long does it last? If, if you know that, you'll become a history maker. Because you'll live a life that's too big for your number of years, and it'll be deposited into generations to come. I want you to know the depth of that love. How low will it go? That'll make you a chain breaker, because you will chase broken people to the lowest places, knowing if he did it for me, he can do it for you. And he said, I want you to know the height, because I want you to know where this love comes from. When we know the the height, when we know where that love comes from, we become planet shakers. Why? Because we live on earth as it is in heaven. 
when we fully comprehend the love of God, there is no service to which he calls us that will reduce us in any way. The second promise I see in this is, I am not afraid of your mess. Trust me. This is the part of the story that really stops me. Because John says, Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. He's not referring to Golgotha. He's not referring to Gethsemane. He's not referring to the nails or the spear or the, or the thorns. He's not even referring to the cross. He's saying he rips open his heart and shows him how much he loves them by getting really, really close to their mess. It's in that room in, uh, in a, with a basin and a towel and dirty feet that they see the full scope of Jesus' love. What was he saying? I'm not afraid of your mess. The dirtiest place on those guys were their feet. And he went straight for it. Guys, God isn't afraid of people's mess. We are. But he's not. He laid aside his authority. He took off his outer robe. He got just like them. He accepted their humanity, became a servant. And then he went for their insecurities, their inadequacies. He went for their brokenness. He went for their dirt. You see, foot washing in Bible times, man, it was a dirty thing. They, they not only walked on dusty roads and sandals, but remember, there were a lot of animals, a lot of animals, camels and cows and lots of sheep. And therefore, on those dirty, dusty roads, there was a lot of poo. So when you washed feet, you weren't just washing off dirt. Feet got really, really dirty. That's how those feet were when the Son of God knelt down, took them in his hand, and washed them and wiped them with a towel. He's not afraid of your mess. He's never had a compunction going after people no matter how far they've gone from him. I know that. See, it's what we call incarnation. Jesus came in the flesh so he could get really really close to us. And he refuses to let his disciples believe he is distant from their pain and unacquainted with their struggle. I want you to just listen to the word of God for a minute. This is Isaiah prophesying this part of Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him not, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But in spite of all that, he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. You can't get closer to our mess than that. And he says, look, I'm not afraid of your mess. Trust me. Other Hebrews says it this way. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of God, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was God's final word. He was proof positive God is not afraid of our mess. The last promise that I saw was, I will change what limits you. Show me. He comes around the table, washing the feet. I guarantee you, dead silence in the room. And he comes to Peter. I love Peter. Peter says one of the stupidest things you can ever say to God. You will never. Just note to self, not a good thing to say to God. Jesus comes around and kneels down to him and he looks at him and says, you're going to wash my feet? And he says, you know, we're going to wash your feet after. And that's when Peter says to him, no, you will, you will never wash my feet. He was refusing the very grace he needed most, the bent knee, the touch of the hand, the washing water exact thing that he needed, he was saying, I'm too messed up for that. It's interesting, Jesus said to him, Peter, you don't see now, but later you will understand. Two really important words. The word see means to perceive with the eyes is in the natural plane. You don't see what's going on in the room right now because you're looking at it from this perspective. But one day, you will understand. That means to know by experience. What you can't see now in the natural, something's going to happen, and you're going to be able to understand it. And I think he was telling Peter, look, man, you can't see it now. And because you can't see it now, you're going to screw up royally. You're going to wreck your life. You're going to walk away from me, but I'm going to come and find you, and I'm going to bring you home, and I'm going to establish you as the first key leader in my church. Then you'll get it. Then you'll understand what actually happened in this room tonight. Peter would understand the values of the king and his kingdom were different. He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. He's saying, Look, man, if, if you don't let me get near your stuff, I can't give you my stuff. That's, that's what the word means. The word part of me doesn't mean I won't like you anymore. You can't be friends with me. It's I can't give you your portion, your allotment. If you don't let me get near and clean up the stuff... I can't give you this dream I have for you to carry my kingdom. I have this picture of what you're going to do. It's here in my hands. I want to give it to you. Let me get close enough to give you this. But you can't have me and hold on to your dirt. Peter, in typical Peter style, 
I want a full-on decontamination shower. You know, if you're talking bath, I want a baptism. Wash it all. Jesus said to him, you don't need that, Peter. You already had a bath. You're clean. The word means you're, you're unadulterated. You're in other words, I've already taken care of the big stuff, but your feet get dirty. I grew up in a tradition that believed you lost your salvation every time you screwed up. Man, I spent a lot of time at an altar because I screwed up a lot. Always trying to get back what Jesus had already given me irretrievably. I came to understand it fully after I had a son. Because it didn't matter what my son did. He could go change his name. He could violate everything in my life. But he could never undo the fact that he was my son. He carried my seed. God in Christ Jesus deposits a salvation in you no one can take away. Nothing can remove. You are clean, but your feet get dirty. Make sense? My, 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 my security with Jesus is ultimate, but sometimes my feet get dirty. In my case, my feet got dirty all the way up to my hips, you know. I, I understand that. And he says, all I need to do is get at that stuff. We all get dirty walking in the daily. We are in a culture and in an environment where we're constantly bombarded by the stuff that is anti the kingdom of God. And it sticks. Some of it sticks. Jesus said, just let me get at that stuff. And if you let me get at that stuff, I can deposit in you what I want you to Peter's only solution is to surrender. I can't imagine that moment when he let Jesus have his feet and he watched him wash him clean. You see, Jesus, in order to heal us, has to get too close for comfort. But life begins at the end of the comfort zone. Jesus was just doing what he told them many years before. Come to me, all you that labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Too often I want to bring to Jesus what I've fixed. Jesus wants to fix my burden. All right, let's tie this up. Jesus gets up after washing all of the disciples' feet, goes over, takes off the towel, puts back on his rabbi's robe, comes back to them and sits down. And he looks and he asks the question that literally has been banging around in my head for weeks. Do you understand what I've done for you? If you'll let that question, it will radically change your life. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Do you understand where you would have been were it not for him? You know, it's so easy, I think, for guys that just really decimated and destroyed their lives to understand that because I wouldn't be here, wouldn't be alive, you know, if it weren't for God's mercy. But, but good people struggle with that. 
people that have lived good lives and done good things and always kind of cross the T's and dot the I's. It's difficult, but you need to understand if Jesus didn't need to die to save you, no matter how good you've been, the cross was an insult. Every one of us needs it. Charlotte was a poet. She was very gifted. She was full of life. All accounts of her were she was energetic and exuberant until she was 32. And at the age of 32, she encountered a disease that crippled her and left her an invalid, they called it in that day. Someone whose legs didn't work anymore, paraplegic. She was in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And, and the story is that she became bitter at God and angry with God. And one of her friends came to her and sat down and said, listen, why don't you channel the depth of your feelings into words? Write some songs from where you are. She began to write songs and she began to feel the bitterness leave and the anger leave and she became a prolific writer of worship songs. One of them got put in a book that was called the Invalid's Hymnal. It was a hymnal that was given to people who were shut-ins. They couldn't go to church so they could sing the songs of the church. And the one that's entered there with her name on it, Just As I Am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise Jesus said one more thing to the followers before he left. He said, I want you to be the I want you to, to act like this to the people around you. So they know I love them more than they know. So they know I'm not afraid of their dirt. So they know I'll fix what they can. I'll heal them. It's interesting. The end of Paul's prayer that we quoted a few minutes ago. But if you know the breadth and length and depth and height of God's love, you will mature into the fullness, the full measure of God. So full of God that you look like Jesus. Seems impossible, doesn't it? But here's how he closes the prayer. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask Glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. So, Jesus, we pray that we would get what you were doing that day and that we.
Church and in Christ Jesus for all generations. 